Well, good morning, church. How are y'all this morning? And go Rangers. You know we got to say it, man. I mean, seriously. <laughs> How can you be in Arlington, Texas and not say that, right? And uh, anyway, what a, what a great week we've had here in this town. So, well, as you've heard already, you, uh, first of all, you came on campus and you see all the flags out everywhere across our campus. And that signals that Missions Month has begun at First Baptist Arlington. And these flags, you know, represent nations filled with people. And it's just a reminder of the, the breadth and diversity of our world and our responsibility to take the gospel to the world. You've heard testimonies. Uh, Raymond and Ida, thank you so much. Not just for your testimony today, but for the lives that y'all live right here in our midst and the ministry and the witness that you all have. And, uh, and then to hear our Chi Alpha Choir lead us today in worship in Farsi. And uh, you're going to be hearing more and more of all of that for the rest of this month as we're just reminded of the calling of God on the life of our church to take the gospel to the nations. So our theme for Missions Month is religion. Why does it matter? And we'll talk more about that for the rest of this month. So today I've entitled the message, Sacred Beliefs, Sacred Lives. And the text is found in the Gospel of John. If you have your copy of the New Testament, let's look at John 12. John has been our guide throughout this entire year here at First Baptist Arlington, as our theme for the whole year has been, why does it matter? And we've looked at various facets of that question. We just finished a two-month-long discussion on why the church matters. And now for this month, why does religion matter? And I want us to look at John 12. John's gospel, as many of you know, as we have read through John's gospel this year, studied John's gospel, it's divided into two major sections, book one and book two, most scholars say. The first 12 chapters, most scholars refer to as the book of signs. And it is filled with signs that Jesus performed. And you know that signs function to point you in a direction. And so they're pointing to who he is as the Messiah. And then you come to John 13, and, and where Jesus is already in Jerusalem, that final week of his life. And the next section of John, chapters 13 through 21, is usually referred to as the book of glory. So the glory of God is on display in Christ through his actions and his messianic role. So today we're going to look at a passage from John 12. It's the conclusion of the book of signs where John has been describing the story of Jesus. He's condensed three and a half years of ministry into these 12 pages, if you will. And we are now in the final week of the life of Christ Jesus is already in Jerusalem. The triumphal entry has already occurred. By the time we get to the text we're going to read, Jesus, at the, um, in the verse right before the verse we will read today, Jesus has hid himself for a moment. We're not sure how long. And John then takes this time to offer us just a brief summary of where we are in terms of the belief system and the behaviors of the religious leaders in Jesus' day 
And then Jesus will come back on the scene and share a message as we bring this section of John to a conclusion. So with that said, look with me at John 12. We'll begin at verse 37. It's our custom in our church whenever the gospel is read to stand and honor the Lord Jesus. So I invite you to stand as we hear this gospel reading. Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe because as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn and I would heal them. That text is actually quoted in all four gospels. Verse 41, Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than praise from God. Then Jesus cried out, whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person for I did not come to judge the world but to save the world. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I've spoken will condemn them at the last day. For I did not speak on my own but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I've spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life so that whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, this morning, we are going to receive the elements of the Lord's Supper today as we celebrate as a church family. So I want to invite our deacons and ministers to come and take their positions here so they can serve us. You know, today... This is a sacred act, the Lord's Supper. We believe that communion is a sacred act. It is reserved for sacred people, the people of God, who share sacred beliefs. And so today we unite with each other in these beliefs that we hold in common. And so we invite believers to participate today. And as believers, this is what we will declare as we receive the elements of the Lord's Supper. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We just sang this powerful testimony. We believe that he has died on the cross for our sins. And we've committed ourselves to be followers of Jesus. And we're beginning this new month with a time of commitment, a time of remembrance, a time of celebration. It's an expression of our faith in a future hope that we will celebrate and remember just as Jesus told us to do what he's done for us. We will also celebrate the reality of our community together as the people of God. We also are leaning into the future, recognizing that one day the Lord Jesus himself will return and consummate everything that was begun and we will be with him forever. So what we have just done as a sacred community is we've expressed our shared sacred Beliefs is at the very heart of our religious commitment. So today, as we begin this four-week focus on religion, why does it matter? 
I would ask you, what is religion? How do you acknowledge religion? Well, sociologists study this phenomenon known as religion. And typically, they use three categories to explore the meaning of religion. Belief, behavior, and belonging. In other words, sociologists have determined, as best they can tell, that human beings sometimes have these deep beliefs. Those beliefs then lead to certain behaviors. And the people who share these beliefs, who are characterized by these shared behaviors, they then find a place of community where they belong and share life together. And, and I do believe that's, that's an appropriate um, way to explain our religious commitment. Religions, if you're a religious person, there's a certain belief system that you adopt, embrace, and then you live accordingly and you find others who do the same. I think that's actually the truth. Our world is a very religious place. Now, in some ways, that seems a little, we have some dissonance here in the U.S. when you hear that, or at least in the West, because we know there's a growing secularization that seems to be taking place in our society. This last week, Cindy and I spent the week in Toronto, Canada. It's my first time to visit Toronto. And a number of things happened. We were there um, involved in some mission meetings that you're going to hear more about as we are launching a new movement called Ascent. And I'm very excited about it. But while we were in Toronto, one evening we had what the Canadian Baptist Mission who hosted us called an immersive experience. And basically they just took teams of us. There were a number of us gathered from across North America for this meeting. And teams of us were taken to downtown Toronto and released, if you will, to just immerse ourselves for a, a couple of hours or so in Toronto and find our way eventually to a restaurant where we gathered to meet and eat. Well, Cindy and I, and along with Dean Todd Steele from Truett Seminary, we made our way around Toronto. And I don't know if you've been there and visited Toronto, but we were struck by several things. One, just the incredible density of the population, these massive multi-story towers of apartments and condominiums where people live. And we were dropped off at the tower and we spent about an hour and a half or so. We stopped at Starbucks and then we walked and made our way through the streets of Toronto. And what struck us, a number of things, but you know, one of the things that struck us, we walked for about an hour and a half and we never saw one church. And we were overwhelmed by how secular the city of Toronto is. Turns out it's one of the most secular cities in any Western nation in the world. It was overwhelming to me. But even with that said, our world is still a religious place. In fact, if you look at our world, what we're told is there are right around 8 billion people on planet Earth. And according to those who study religion, if you look at all the religions put together, all the major religions and all the minor ones, if you put them all together, as best we can tell, 
out of 8 billion people on planet earth, 7.8 billion people belong to some kind of religion on planet earth. In other words, the overwhelming majority of people are religious at some level. Well, Jesus lived in a religious world. My goodness, he lived in Israel in the first century. Jesus was surrounded by religion. The people of his day were religious. In Jesus' day, the Jews who lived in Israel were not secular Jews. Jesus wasn't just a Jew ethnically. Jesus was a religious Jew like everyone else that he knew. They were invested. They were involved in expressions of their religion. They were surrounded by pagans. They were surrounded by the Romans. Well, the Romans were also religious people. They weren't atheists. They had their own set of gods, this incredible pantheon of gods. And so Jesus lived in a religious world. So while he was in that world, surrounded by all kinds of religious expressions, Jesus taught us something incredibly important then and now. And when you read a passage like what we just read in John 12, here's what Jesus is teaching us. What you believe matters. It turns out, what you actually believe matters. This is a message from Jesus. Jesus is talking about people who believe in him. And he is challenging the people of his day to examine what they believe. John gives us this little interlude where he uses some prophecy from Isaiah to interpret the challenge of his own day. But I want you to notice what happens in verse 44. If you look at verse 44 with me, the Bible says something unusual here about Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus cried out. Kratzos is the Greek word. It's an onomatopoeia. That word was basically invented in Greek to sound like the call of a raven. In other words, this word literally means to shriek like a raven. So you could translate verse 44 like this. Then Jesus shrieked. Now, I don't know if y'all have a picture of Jesus or not in your mind, but I just don't picture Jesus as a shrieking kind of person. Do you? There are numerous words that John could have used here. That's the word he chose. Jesus shrieked. He, he cried out. In other words, he had gone somewhere. We don't know where. He had hid himself from people. And then he reappears there in Jerusalem. And when he does... He shrieks with a loud voice and basically what he says to those who are listening, what you believe matters. In fact, let's put a finer point on it. Here's what Jesus really said. What you believe about Jesus really matters. That's what Jesus teaches us in this text. Jesus says in this text, he has been sent by God and he has come to bring light to a dark world. And Jesus says, those of you who will believe in me, you're going to believe in the one who sent me, he says. And I've come into this world as a light. If you don't believe in me, you will still be in darkness. As a matter of fact, notice what Jesus says in verse 50. Jesus says, I'm actually here. I came here. I didn't just come randomly. I was sent here by God to teach you and to share this truth with you and to give you his command. And if you will believe in his command, he says in verse 50, you will have eternal life. Now, what is the opposite of that? If you don't believe in this command, you will not have eternal life. And so here's what I want to make sure we all know this today. When you and I as a church engage in missional engagement, 
In other words, when we take this gospel, when we send people anywhere on our behalf, whether it's in Arlington or around the world, to do anything, it is rooted in a core conviction. We at First Baptist Arlington, we believe in Jesus. We believe Jesus is the answer. We believe he is the son of God. We believe that he has been sent by God, he and he alone, to provide a path to eternal life. And we know that that message is controversial in our day. It was controversial in the day of Jesus. Because when we say that, what we're basically saying is this. We believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to eternal life. That means that if you do not accept that truth, you will not experience that gift. That means we believe Jesus is right, so therefore we believe every other religion who rejects Jesus is wrong. Now that's a hard word, isn't it? Why do we believe that? Is that something we came up with? Did we have a meeting at our Great Commission Council and say, you know what, I really think Jesus is the right way to heaven. Is that what we decided? No. You know where we get that? From Jesus. Jesus said it. Jesus said, are y'all with me? Okay, come on y'all. Jesus is the only way to heaven, right? We do believe that. What do you think we're doing when we take the gospel to the world? We're not taking American culture. We're not taking the American way of life. We're not, we're not trying to go somewhere to just improve somebody's way of living. That's not what we're doing. That's not why we are there. We are there on behalf of Jesus. And that's the only reason we're there. Now, while we're there on behalf of Jesus, that means we engage in all kinds of things because we do the kinds of things we think Jesus would do. And we learn from him. But we believe he's the answer. And you know what, what scholars call that, theologians call it? They call it the scandal of particularity. It means we believe something particular. It rules out everything else. Now, why is it called a scandal? Well, that's because it comes from the Greek word. Y'all know what the Greek word scandal means? It doesn't mean scandal. Like, you know, in English, scandal means, you know, I mean like a scandal. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's, that's not what Greek... The Greek word means scandalon in Greek means a stumbling block. It's, it's in your way. This belief in the particularity of Jesus is a stumbling block to some people because we want to believe that everything's going to be okay. There are so many ways to God. Just pick whichever path is best for you. That is a negation of the core message of Christianity. And it reduces Jesus to just another person another person who did good and, and spoke well. No, that's not who Jesus is. Jesus is the son of God. And so here's the thing, y'all. When you believe in Jesus, it determines your eternity. It, it shapes your worldview. It affects your everyday life. It changes everything about you. Believing in Jesus changes everything about a person. Jesus will redirect your life. You'll be introduced to a journey of transformation. It will now determine your authority. You're going to make the belief statement, Jesus is now Lord. It'll affect all of your decisions. It will completely overhaul your life from the inside out. When you accept Jesus and, and ask Jesus into your life, this is not just another thing to add to your list of priorities. That's, that's not what this is. This is the priority that redetermines all the rest of your priorities. When you make the decision to follow Jesus, it changes everything. He becomes the priority in your life. 
Everything else now grows out of that. And so when you and I choose to believe in him, it's going to change my routine, everyday life, as well as my eternity. It affects my decisions, how I'm going to handle myself, what I choose to do with my life. It's all connected to a belief in Jesus. So Jesus challenges these people. He says, believe in me. If you believe in me, you'll believe in the one who sent me. But if you don't believe in me, you stay in darkness. If you don't believe in me, then you don't have this eternal life that I'm going to offer all of you. And it's why I came. So I titled the message today, Sacred Beliefs, Sacred Lives. Because when you have these sacred beliefs, it leads you to a certain kind of living. Your life is changed. You're now commissioned. You're now called. You're now deployed to live your life as a Christian out in the wild, you know, where people live. Not just in this community of faith that we know as the church, but the Lord has called us to be engaged, to be deployed, to live this out among others. In other words, people should say, Dennis, why, why, why do you do that? Well, the reason I do that is because I've got a core set of beliefs that guide me. You know, the other day, I went to, uh, to buy some Ranger stuff, okay? So I did, and I'm standing in line, and uh, so the lady that I'm buying it from has these huge cross earrings, huge. I don't know how y'all do it. So, but you can't help but see them. And I'm, I'm like, wow, so I'm getting my stuff. And, um, and I just said to her, I said, man, I really like your earrings. She said, me too. She said, you know, I bought these from my home where I'm from. I'm from Mississippi. I said, that is awesome. And she said, you know, I wear these because I'm a Christian. Me too, I said. And uh, so anyway, we went out of town. All I was buying then was American League championship stuff. Come on, y'all, that wasn't enough. I had to go back when I got home and get the World Series championship stuff just to make sure everybody knows. So guess what? I go in, there she is again. And as soon as she saw me, we saw each other. And she came up and hugged me, and we just spoke a quick word. And I, I was so proud of her. She wasn't weird about it. It wasn't like I was buying my stuff. And she said, let me ask you something. If you were to die tonight, you know for sure you'd go to heaven. No, <laughs> she didn't. She just, she just working at the cash register, has her earrings on. I make a comment about it. And she just said it as naturally as she knew how to say. Well, you know, I'm a Christian. Awesome. We're deployed. We're to be living out our faith out in the wild where everybody else lives, as well as in the church, in our families, in our homes but I want you to know it's not always easy. It's just not always easy. It's harder in some places than others. You know, years ago, my goodness, I don't even know how long ago it's been. We were in West Africa from here, First Baptist Arlington. Cindy, Kim, Kurt, there was a bunch of us. And we were doing a conference for a group of Fulani believers. And uh, we were already working in a village there. And at this conference, the chief, his son, wanted to come with us, even though he was not a Christian. He was a Muslim. And so he, uh, he came, and he hung out with us, and we had lots of time together. And somewhere along the way that week, he told me, um, my, my name there is Samba. He said, Samba, I want to I become a follower of the Jesus way. Now, he's the chief's son in the area where we work. The chief is named Abraham. Son is named Hamadou. Cindy calls him Hamadou GQ because he's really handsome. So anyway, there's a lot of Hamadou. So this is Hamadou GQ. So it's great. I said Hamadou. So we walked through it. We prayed together. Kurt and I talked to him. Several of us had, had talked to him. 
So it's all good. Well, as we, um, we no longer have workers from our church who live there. We have, a, we have a national who works there. His name is Adamu. Well, as time rocks on, as a matter of fact, we went back a couple times. When Hamadou got home, his daddy's the chief, he's a Muslim. His uncle, Bubakar, is the imam, the Muslim. Hamadou went back to the mosque. And so when we visited the next couple of times, we would see Hamadou in the village. And after the time of prayer in the mosque, he would come back out where everybody was and he would have a, a little patch of dirt on his forehead. And that was kind of a, a sign of piety. In other words, that, that let everybody know that he had bowed so far in the dirt there that he still had the residue of that dirt from his prayer time as a Muslim. And, uh, and then Adamu told us that Hamadou has returned to the mosque. And it was challenging for us because we were hopeful that that would not be the case. Several years have passed. We're still connected to that village and Adamu still works there on your behalf. We still support him. And um, well, we got a note a while back. Abraham has died. Hamadou now is the new chief. Hamadou, this last year or so, made an announcement to the village. I'm no longer a Muslim. I'm a follower of the Jesus way. He said, I, I won't be going back to the mosque. I won't be celebrating Islamic religious festivals. I'm no longer going to participate. It's been really hard. Guess who now is asking questions to try to find out what does it really mean to follow Jesus? Bubakar now, the imam in that village where we work, is now expressing interest in becoming a follower of Jesus. Because you see, sacred beliefs lead to sacred lives. It's not always easy. It's challenging. But it's powerful when it happens. It's worth it. It's an expression of the gospel. As a matter of fact, that's what it means to live sent. You see, that's the challenge for us. Live sent. Where do we get that from? Jesus. <laughs> We're just doing what Jesus did. Isn't that what Jesus said? Jesus said, why am I here? I was sent. I was sent by the Father. If you believe in me, then you're going to believe in the one who sent me. Jesus has modeled it for us. He lived sent. And now he is inviting us to live sent. In fact, he's calling us to live sent. And so, for some of you, that may mean to live cross-culturally. Is that you? Is that something God's called you to do? If it is, we would love to come alongside you and bless that calling of God in your life. We've had folks from this church, as you know, who have felt that call. And we have blessed them and we have tried to help them find their way to what that means to live cross-culturally. But you know, for many of you, it means to live sent, sacred lives in your own sphere. So how are you doing with that? Because that's the calling of God on your life and mine. To live as sacred people, sacred lives based, in, rooted in, based upon and rooted in sacred beliefs. You have been called to live sent. So I'll ask you the question, how are you living sent? Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, today we, first of all, we're grateful for this great commission and the calling in all of our lives to live sent. And I just pray you'll guide us as we seek to do that and do it well. 
And Lord, I ask that we would find time to reflect upon what that means in our own lives. And we would give ourselves to you, fresh and anew, to live as you've called us to live as your people. May it be so, in Jesus' name, amen.